Section 5 of A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by a Gentleman on His Travels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by Sarah Scott. The History of Miss Mansell and Mrs. Morgan, Part 3. The remainder of the winter passed, like the former part, only that the increase of her apprehensions so far lessened her easy vivacity, that Mr. Hintman observed the alteration, and complained of the constraint and awe which damped her conversation. As the school broke up at Easter, he entreated her to accompany him that short time into the country, from which she would gladly have excused herself, both on account of her fears and of her unwillingness to leave Miss Melvin, of whose conversation she was now more particularly tenacious, as Lady Melvin had determined to suffer her to return home in a short time, not knowing how to excuse her remaining longer at school, as she was entered into her one-and-twentieth year. Miss Melvin would have been glad that her ladyship had not shown this token of regard to popular opinion, for since she had enjoyed Miss Mansell's company, and been in possession of so good a collection of books, she was grown perfectly contented with her situation. Louisa, to make Mr. Hintman desist from the request he urged with so much importunity, tried every means that did not appear like a total disinclination to accompany him, for anything that bore the air of ingratitude could not be supported by her, whose heart was so void of it, and who thought she could never feel enough for her benefactor if his designs were not so criminal as she feared, but scarcely could suffer herself to suspect. Mr. Hintman was too ardent in his purposes to give up his favourite scheme, and Louisa beheld with inexpressible concern the day approach, when she must either accompany him into the country, or disoblige him for ever, and make herself appear extremely ungrateful, in the eyes of a man whom she loved and honoured like a father. Her addresses to heaven for protection now became more vehement and continual, and the greatest part of her time was spent on her knees in praying to that power in whom she trusted. Miss Melvin and Mr. Daverer were scarcely less anxious or under fewer apprehensions than herself, but could see no resource except in the protection of the Almighty, to whom we seldom apply with entire faith and resignation while we have any hopes in human assistance. Two days before that fixed on for the proposed journey, when Louisa's anxiety was risen to the utmost height, the schoolmistress entered the room, with a countenance so melancholy as was more suitable to the situation of mind in which the two young friends were then in, than to any reason they apprehended she could have for an air of so much sorrow. She soon began a discourse, which they immediately apprehended was preparatory to the opening of some fatal event, and which, as is usual in such cases, was, if possible, more alarming than any misfortune it could proceed. The ladies expressed their fears, and begged to be acquainted with what had befallen them. After considerable efforts to deliver her of the secret with which she was pregnant, they learnt that a gentleman was in the parlour, who had come to inform Miss Mansell that Mr. Hintman died the day before in a fit of apoplexy. 
all louise's fears and suspicions vanished at once and grief alone took possession of her heart the shock so entirely overcame her that she was not able to see the fatal messenger of such melancholy tidings as the death of her benefactor and second father miss melvin was obliged to undertake this office and learnt from the gentleman that mr hintman died without a will and therefore left the poor louisa as destitute except being enriched by various accomplishments as he found her and at a much more dangerous time when her beauty would scarcely suffer compassion to arise unaccompanied with softer sentiments this gentleman proceeded to inform miss melvin that his father and another person of equal relation to mr hintman were heirs at law he expressed great concern for miss mansell and wished he had his father's power of repairing mr hintman's neglect but that his influence extended no farther than to obtain a commission to pay the expenses of another year at the school that the young lady might have time to recollect herself after so fatal a change and determine at leisure on her future course of life miss melvin was so sensibly touched at the prospect of the approaching distress with which her friend was threatened that she burst into tears and uttered some exclamations concerning the inconsistency of that affection which could suffer a man to rest a moment without securing a provision in case of death to a young woman he seemed to love with the greatest success of tenderness believe me madam said the young gentleman mr hintman was capable of no love that was not entirely sensual and consequently selfish all who knew him lamented the fate of a young woman who by every account is so superiorly lovely among his friends he made no secret of his designs in all he had done for her and boasted frequently of the extraordinary charms which were ripening for his possession it was but two days ago that he was exulting in the presence of some of them that the time was now approaching when he should be rewarded for long expectation and boundless expense for he should then he said be sure of her person and had long secured her heart he knew he had strong prejudices and strange scruples to combat but was prepared and should not find them difficult to conquer at worst his steward in a parson's habit would lull them all to sleep good heaven cried miss melvin could there be such a wretch and were there men who would keep company with him who would bear the disgrace of being called his friends your notions madam replied the gentleman are too refined for persons who live in the world should a man insist on strict morals in all his acquaintance he might enjoy a solitude in the most populous city though i confess nothing but ties of kindred could have made me intimate with one of mr hintman's character which i should not thus have exposed to you but as i imagined a better knowledge of the man might alleviate the affliction you seem to feel for miss mansell's having lost one whom you esteem so sincere a friend i should have been glad continued he could i have seen the young lady of whom mr hintman told such wonders but i will not presume to press it time may offer me some opportunity for satisfying my curiosity without paining her i therefore take my leave with only requesting your permission to remit the money of which i was made the bearer miss melvin was so much affected with her friend's situation 
that she took the paper the gentleman offered her without having power to reflect whether she ought to accept it or being able to make him any acknowledgment and he retired directly she was obliged to stay some time to compose her spirits before she went to see her friend that she might be the better able to comfort her on examining the paper she found it a bank-note of a hundred pounds which was now become all miss mansell's fortune lamont could not forbear interrupting mrs maynard in this place by some very severe reflections on mr hintman's having neglected to make a provision for miss mansell in case of his death which i believe was the part of his conduct that to lamont appeared most inexcusable for though he is too fashionable to think intriguing very criminal yet he is naturally generous as far as money is concerned i cannot think replied my cousin that mr hintman's behaviour in that particular can be much wondered at death to such a man must be so dreadful an event that he will naturally endeavour to banish it from his mind whenever it attempts to intrude and when a person takes so little care to make provision for his own happiness after death is it strange he should be unmindful of what shall befall another after that fatal period when a man neglects his own soul and deprives himself of all hope of everlasting felicity can we expect he should take any trouble to provide for the temporal convenience of another person besides could he who aimed at reducing an innocent and amiable young woman to guilt and infamy in this world and eternal perdition in the next be under any concern lest she should fall into the lesser miseries of poverty it would have been an inconsistency in such a character you see gallantry in a very serious light madam said lamont i do indeed sir answered mrs maynard i look on it as the most dangerous of vices it destroys truth honour humanity it is directly contrary to the laws of god is the destruction of society and almost as inconsistent with morality as with religion i beg pardon madam interrupted lamont who felt himself a little touched with what she said for breaking into your narrative i must beg you will continue it miss melvin resumed mrs maynard was too well acquainted with the strength of louisa's mind to think it necessary to conceal from her any part of what had passed between herself and mr hintman's relation louisa much affected by mr hintman's dying with a heart so unfit to appear at the tribunal before which he was so suddenly summoned thought not immediately of herself but when she reflected on the danger she had escaped she blessed her poverty since it was the consequence of an event which delivered her from so much greater evils and sent up many sincere and ardent thanksgivings to heaven for so signal a preservation these thoughts possessed our young friends for the first three or four days after mr hintman's death but then they began to think it requisite to consult with mr daverer on what course of life it was most advisable for miss mansell to enter this was a difficult point to determine though her understanding and attainments were far superior to her years yet they were sensible her youth would be a great impediment to her in any undertaking mr daverer therefore advised that she should continue a little longer at the school and then fix in the most private manner imaginable for three or four years by which time he hoped to be able to establish her in some widow's family as governess to her children 
for he told her she must not expect while her person continued such as it then was that a married woman would receive her in any capacity that fixed her in the same house with her husband as miss mansell had many jewels and trinkets of value she had no doubt but that with economy she might support herself for the term mr davra mentioned and even longer if requisite as she could add her little fund by the produce of her industry as miss melvin's return home drew near it was agreed that she should seek out some place in sir charles's neighbourhood where louisa might lodge cheaply and reputably and in the meantime mr davra should dispose of whatever she had of value except her books and her harpsichord these she resolved not to part with till the produce of her other things and the money she had by her was spent as they would not only amuse her in the country but afford her the power of improving herself in those accomplishments which were to be her future provision this plan softened the pangs of separation when the time of miss melvin's departure arrived it was not long before she found out an apartment at a reputable farmer's where miss mansell might lodge conveniently had it been a less tolerable place its vicinity to sir charles's house from which it was but a quarter of a mile distant would have made it a very delightful abode to her and she soon repaired thither great was the joy of the two friends at meeting miss melvin's situation at home was rendered as irksome as possible by lady melvin's behaviour both to her and to sir charles who notwithstanding her ill-treatment was extremely fond of and totally guided by her his mind was so entirely enslaved that he beheld nothing but in the light wherein she pleased to represent it and was so easy a dupe that she could scarcely feel the joys of self-triumph in her superior art which was on no subject so constantly exerted as in keeping up her coldness in sir charles towards his daughter this she had with tolerable facility effected in her absence and was assiduously careful to preserve now she was present to those who know not the power an artful woman can obtain over a weak man it would appear incredible that any father could be prejudiced against a daughter whose whole attention was to please him she had so perfect a command over her temper that she never appeared to take offence at anything lady melvin said or did though that lady endeavoured by every provocation to throw her off guard this behaviour only increased her hatred which was not in the least abated by miss melvin's taking every opportunity of being serviceable to her half-brothers and sisters lady melvin persuaded sir charles that his daughter's calmness was only assumed in his presence and continually complained of her insolence when he was not by if he ever appeared to doubt the truth of her report she would burst into tears complain of his want of love and little confidence in her and sometimes thought proper to show her grief at such treatment by a pretended hysteric fit always ready at call to come to her assistance though really so unnecessarily lavished on one easily duped without those laborious means that it appeared a wantonness of cunning which was thus exerted only for its own indulgence she soon perceived that miss melvin rather chose to submit to any aspersions than to render her father unhappy by undeceiving him and taking advantage of this generosity would sometimes to establish his opinion of her veracity 
accused Miss Melvin to her face of offences which she had never committed and things she had never said. In such a situation, the arrival of a friend, into whose sympathetic bosom she could pour all her griefs and in whose delightful society she could forget them, was the highest blessing. But Lady Melvin contrived to make her feel mortifications even in this tenderest particular. For though she was in her heart glad to have her out of the house, that she might not be witness of much improper behaviour, yet she would sometimes mortify herself in order to tease Miss Melvin, by preventing her from going to her beloved friend, and continually alleged her spending so much time with Louisa as a proof of the aversion that she had made Sir Charles believe Miss Melvin had to her. Louisa felt deeply in her friend's uneasiness, but when they were together they could not be unhappy. They seldom passed a day without seeing each other, but as Lady Melvin had taken no notice of Louisa, she could not go to her house, therefore their meetings were at her lodgings, where they often read together, and at other times would apply to music to drive away melancholy reflections. As Louisa wished to remain near her friend as long as possible, she endeavoured, by taking in plain work, to provide for some part of her current expenses, the less to diminish the little fun she had by her. She likewise employed part of her time in painting, having reason to hope that if she could find a means of offering her pictures to sale, she might from them raise a very convenient sum. While she was thus contriving to enable herself to enjoy for many years the conversation of her friend, Lady Melvin was as industriously laying schemes that, if successful, must disappoint all the young lady's hopes. Towards the end of autumn, Mr. Morgan, a man of fortune, who had spent above half a year in fruitless pursuit after health, made a visit to a gentleman in the neighbourhood. Unfortunately, Miss Melvin's charms made a conquest of this gentleman, in whom age had not gained a victory over passion. Miss Melvin's humility occasioned her being the last person who perceived the impression she had made on his heart, and his age would scarcely suffer her to believe her senses when the symptoms became most apparent. A girl may find some amusement in a young lover, though she feels no disposition in herself to return his passion. Her vanity is flattered by his addresses, and a woman must be very little disposed to be pleased, who receives no pleasure from one who is continually endeavouring to oblige and amuse her. But the most whimsical of the poets never fancied a grey-bearded Cupid, or represented Hymen with a torch in one hand and a crutch in the other. I allow that, off the matrimonial Cupid, lashed on by time grows tired and stupid, and does not always wear that blooming joyous countenance which the painters give him. But should any capricious artist take the sickle out of the hand of old time, and in its place put Hymen's torch, the picture might be thought very unnatural, yet would represent a proper hymeneal cupid to attend Mr. Morgan to the altar. Such a lover could excite no emotion in his mistress's heart but disgust. Miss Melvin's principles were too delicate to suffer her to think she had any title to ridicule a man for his partiality to her, however ill-suited to himself, but no consideration could prevent his addresses from being extremely disagreeable. However, 
she could without any great difficulty have so far commanded herself as to have treated him with complacence till he gave her an opportunity of rejecting his courtship had she not been apprehensive that this affair would give lady melvin a new subject for persecution she was pretty certain that lady would be glad to settle her in another county and that her averseness to so ill-suited a marriage would only serve as an additional recommendation to her mother she was indeed determined in justice to mr morgan and compassion to herself not to be induced by any solicitations to marry a man whom she could not hope that even the strongest attachment to duty could render so well as indifferent to her but she dreaded the means that might be taken to oblige her to accept mr morgan's proposal little did she guess what those means would be she expected to be attacked alternately with all the violence of passion the affected softness of dissimulation and every art that cunning could devise to force sir charles to concur in her persecution these indeed were employed as soon as mr morgan made his proposals but her ladyship had too many resources in her fertile brain to persevere long in a course she found unavailing the farmer where miss mansell lodged had a son who was in treaty with lady melvin for a farm which at the end of the year would become vacant this person she thought fit for her purpose as miss melvin's going so frequently to miss mansell might give some colour to her invention she therefore took care to be found by sir charles drowned in tears he pressed to know the occasion of her grief but she resisted his importunity in such a manner as could not fail to increase it still she declared that she loved him to that excess she could not communicate a secret which she knew must afflict him even though the suppression and inward prayings of her sorrows would prove fatal to her life sir charles now on his knees entreated her to acquaint him with the misfortune she endeavoured to conceal assuring her that nothing could give him so much concern as seeing her in that condition she told him she was sensible that as his wife it was her duty to obey him a duty newly discovered or at least newly performed by her ladyship but she feared she had not strength left to give it utterance the endeavour threw her into a hysteric fit which was succeeded by so many others that sir charles was almost frantic with his fears for so tender a wife who was thus reduced to the last agonies by her affectionate apprehensions of giving him pain after rubbing her hands and feet till they were sore suffocating her with burnt feathers and half poisoning her with medicines sir charles and her servants so far brought her to life that after sending her attendants out of the room she had just power to tell him she had discovered an intrigue between his daughter and simon the young farmer and then immediately sunk into another fit which however did not last so long for as she had removed the heavy burden of her mind she soon began to recover sir charles was very much shocked at what lady melvin told him but could not doubt the reality of the fact when he had seen the very violent effect it had had on his tender wife he asked her advice how to proceed and it was soon determined that it was necessary either to oblige miss melvin to marry mr morgan directly or to disclaim her for ever and remove the disgrace of so infamous a conduct 
as far from themselves as possible. With this resolution, she was to be immediately acquainted. Miss Melvin was accordingly called in, and bitterly reproached by Sir Charles, to which my lady added frequent lamentations, that she should so far forget herself, and disgrace so worthy a family, interspersing them with many expressions of the undeserved tenderness she had always had for her, and her great confidence in Miss Melvin's prudence and virtue, shedding tears for her having so unhappily swerved from them. As all this passed for some time in general terms, Miss Melvin was in doubt whether she or her parents had lost their senses, convinced there must be distraction on one side or the other. As soon as she could recover her surprise, she begged to know what crime she had committed. Her astonishment was still increased by the answer she received, which was an accusation of this strange intrigue, and her frequent visits to Miss Mansell were brought as proofs of it. The submissive and mild temper, which had hitherto most strongly characterised her, vanished at so injurious a charge, and she denied the fact with that true spirit which innocence inspires. She told Lady Melvin that though she had hitherto silently submitted to all her ill-usage, yet it was her duty to repel an injury like this, and when her reputation was so cruelly aspersed, it would be criminal to suffer the vile inventors to pass unexposed. She insisted on being confronted with her accusers, a privilege allowed to the greatest criminals and by the severest judges, therefore Shirley could not be refused by a father to a daughter on a charge so highly improbable, and for which no lightness in her conduct ever gave the least ground. As Mrs. Maynard was in this part of her narrative, a bell rang, which informed us that dinner was ready, and we were unwillingly obliged to postpone the continuation of the history of the two young friends till a more convenient opportunity. End of section 5. Recording by Florence.